Good morning, you guys. Good morning. Um, my name is Dustin. I get the privilege of serving as the pastor. And uh, just from me to you, welcome. I'm excited you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. We uh, are making our way through the book of Acts just a little bit at a time. And so, uh, as you can tell, um, when I say a little bit at a time, it really is. And so, we've been in for about, uh, I think, 16 weeks, and we're on chapter 6. So, we're just making our way through it, and we get to um, some growing pains in the church. Imagine that. We get the first complaint from inside the church. Um, so, even as we joked about last week, uh, First Baptist Jerusalem wasn't perfect and holy without complaints either. Um, they really weren't First Baptist Jerusalem. That's a joke, okay? Um, uh, but they uh, run into an issue, and we'll talk through it. Um, one thing Jamie did say, I did want to mention, um, that the Braves game, uh, we're not asking this, y'all to students to take a break from studying necessarily, but um, we want you to still do well in school. We're just giving you something to enjoy um, while you're finishing up your semester. So um, anyways, uh, if you have your Bibles, the plan this morning, we'll be in Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to read uh, the first six verses now, and then I'll pray, and we'll get going uh, into this text. So, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I really am. It's been a, a good morning. I don't know why. I feel like I'm a little extra excited. So that can mean a couple things. It could mean I talk faster than normal. It could mean well, we get done faster than usual. Um, it could mean a lot of things, but I'm just excited to be here and uh, talk through God's Word. So here we go, Acts chapter 6. Um, let me catch you up quickly. So the, the gospel has exploded in the early church. It's in Jerusalem. Um, there, there's probably around... 30,000 or so believers now is what most people would say, between 20 and 30,000. So it's taken off. They're only uh, probably a few months into the church. And as you can tell, when you go from, uh, from a handful of 12 apostles to 30,000, ministry gets more. Ministry gets harder, right? They're trying to take care of one another. They're um, in different groups. They're trying to figure out who's going to teach where. And there's just more things to do inside the church. And so it's normal as that happens um, for there to be things to go on. And so um, what, what happens now is you know that the disciples just got arrested and got freed last week, and now they're coming back, and Luke's going to write down just a little bit of what's going on. A lot of theologians look back at this text and say that um, we know that the disciples weren't writing from a place of uh, over-optimism, right? Meaning that they weren't trying to make the church look like this great holy thing that um, it was just no issues, no issues in the lives of the people. Um, they know that uh, Luke was being real and just trying to give an honest account of what was going on because he writes of so much of the persecution and issues going on inside the church just as much as he does people getting saved and the church growing, etc. And so you get a very balanced account as we'll see in this. And so here we go. Verse Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, okay, Paul's there. Um, it, if, I, if I could think through a way to explain this and summarize it, it's going to be kind of a growing pain for the church, if you want to think of it that way. Is they're growing um, as they're increasing in number, as it says, as the disciples were increasing in number, um, then things grow and growing pains occur. It says, a complaint by the Hellenists, which was a specific type of group of people, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Okay, So you see this going on. There's a lot of things to do, and they're trying to figure out who's going to do what. 
Um, these uh, apostles are saying, God's given us the revelation. We shouldn't quit preaching the word to go do this. We need more people to do a lot of things. And so um, verse 3 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said had pleased the whole gathering. That's crazy to me. Um, I don't know that you could ever please an entire church, much less a church of thousands, right? But it pleased the whole gathering. Um, They were willing to be unified. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and full of the spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas and a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests came to be obedient to the faith. Let's pray, and then we'll just unpack a little bit of what that means for us. God, we love you. Lord, we're thankful for who you are. God, uh, thankful for your word. And Lord, I just pray now that, God, um, God, your word would uh, not only get in our minds and teach us, God, that we would have a foundation to uh, lay our, our church on um, personally, to lay our lives on, God, that we would have a foundation that's, um, God, not moving. But, Lord, I pray that it would get in our heart and stir our affections for you. God, I pray that, um, God, when we leave here, we would want to know you more. We want to love you more. God, we want to serve you more. And, God, that this has an effect on our lives as we leave. God, uh, just pray your word, as it said, would not return void, but it would... Um, stir our affections for you. And we love you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I was thinking this week of just thinking through the church and how they're growing and all this stuff going on on some of the, the times in my life that I've had growing pains, okay? Not necessarily physically, but just growing in general. And the first thing I thought about, no doubt, was growing pains in marriage. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. I hear some chuckles. That means you're not going to raise your hand, but you agree. Okay. I get it. Um, so uh, if, you, if you think through this with me, one of the things I quickly learned was when I, when I got married, Rachel loved my clothes. I don't know why, but she did, okay? And um, so what would happen is, is like a couple months would go by. We got married in the winter, and it wasn't March or April where I was missing probably half my jackets, okay? I mean, rain jackets, regular old just fleece jackets, anything that kept me warm, sweatshirts, they were gone. And I have no idea where they go. And, and I'd be like, babe, you know where my, my rain jacket is? No, nah, not a clue. Well, one day, I don't know what I was doing. I was putting something in the back of her car and I opened the trunk of her car and jacket galore. Just there's my closet got moved in the back of Rachel's car. Okay. And so um, anyway, so uh, a growing pain of me having to realize that I'm going to have to look a little more for my clothes, maybe, etc. But um, it really got good this Christmas, okay? So fast forward uh, uh, five or six years now. Um, this Christmas, I go to open my presents. And um, I go to open them. And, and let me preface this. As I'm opening my Christmas presents, I notice that Rachel's paying close attention to me. Not to mention, these presents are from her. So it's not like she's watching me wondering what I'm getting. They say from Rachel, right? They're from her. And so uh, I'm opening them up and I start unraveling it. And I'm kind of a tall and slender guy, right? So if I just order something like pants that are size large or extra large or whatever, um, I usually have a hard time for the waist and length to go well together. Um, And so Rachel knows this. So as I'm pulling out my my brand new sweatpants for Christmas, she quickly says, I mean, before I could even really realize what it was, if those don't fit you, I can just wear them. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, how, how, how gnostic of a person do you have to be 
to be in the store and think to myself, if I buy these, they probably won't fit the person I'm giving them to. So then I can really be buying myself a present disguised as somebody else. Okay, that's really not that. She's phenomenal, great, okay? She's just learned to scheme it well, right? We've learned to compromise, and so she knows what she's doing. But I say that because if you think about your own life, and then you apply that to the life of the church especially, um, there are all kinds of growing pains, okay? Um, I think if we did a survey of church background in here, um, some people may be brand new to the church and, and things seem to be good, or um, some people in here probably could write um, 100 pages or more on issues in the church that you've dealt with, right? And, and things that you've had to compromise on and you sought unity after, or something that you said, I, I don't think that's, that's, my, that's my hill I'm dying on, I'm gone, right? And, and all this stuff that's going on, and so you see all this stuff happening, but I think we learn several things from the church, um, especially from this passage that we can apply to our church, right? Especially in the early days, especially of what's going on. And so I want to quickly run right back through this so we can have an understanding of the passage, and then we'll grab those three things. I'm going to do this rather quickly. But verse 1, remember, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let me explain a little bit of what's going on here, okay? Um, so you have the Hellenist Jews. What, what these would be most likely are kind of the outside converts, okay? So uh, the meaning Jew in this time um, could mean ethnicity. It could mean your color. It could mean uh, your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And all my parents were Jews, so I'm a Jew, right? Like, that would be how the Hebraic Jews would think. They were the OGs, right? If I could talk to the college students. They were the original people of the, the, the Hebrews, you know what I mean? And so they were the originals, the, the, the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrews. And what they called the Greek people that converted were Hellenistic Jews, right? And they spoke Greek. They didn't speak Hebrew. They had different language. They had different culture. But we know that just a few chapters before this at Pentecost, there's all languages represented. There's all people groups. And the Spirit comes down on all of them. So we know that in God's church, there's not just a certain group of people that should be saved, right? The gospel is for all. The ground's level at the cross. And so they know that. But these people that have been there a long time, for some reason, have looked over the others. Let me apply this to today's church, right? Let's think through this just a quick application. What that means is, is that if we become the type of church that we say, because I've been here longer, I get blank, that's probably not a healthy thing because that's exactly what's going on here, right? What we need to realize is, is that everyone's welcome. We're all here with the purpose. We all have, um, are made in the image of God. So there's not this, I've been here longer or more that causes us to get that, right? If, if, if we become the church, it's like, well, I sit here every Sunday, don't take my seat. Well, that's probably what they would look at at this and be like, well, we need to come to a way to solve this. You follow me on this? Is that there's always going to be issues in this. And so um, they were essentially saying, just because we're outsiders, don't overlook our widows. And this was a very normal thing. You see in 1 Timothy 5, they took care of the widows. You see in James, they took care of the widows. All through the Old Testament, the church made sure they took care of their orphans and widows. And so we know that that was a normal thing for them. And then verse 2. So what do they do to solve the issue? That becomes the problem. That becomes what we read about. And so, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples. So the leaders got together and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word 
of God to serve tables. Now, let me make a quick note here. It's not that one or the other is necessarily more important, but it's that God has distinctly organized the church, and organization can be a good thing, right, um, so that certain people do certain things. And that was healthy for them. It can be healthy now, right? You read in 1 Corinthians and in uh, Timothy and even in Peter where um, there were people in the church that they paid to teach the Word. That's where this same idea of having a teacher pastor in a church that their job is to minister the Word to the people. That would be kind of what I'm doing now, right? And so that's where that idea came from is that this same thing was going on. And it's not that there's more or higher. It's that God's equipped us all differently to do different things. Let me say this in just a minute. This is, um, passage is primarily about Stephen, okay? And Stephen getting chose to serve. The reason it's about Stephen, and we won't really see that completely, is because the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7, Stephen gets chosen to serve tables, which seems like maybe a job you don't have to know the word. But I would argue that he then preaches the longest and best sermon in the book of Acts right after this, right? So it has nothing to do with necessarily knowledge of the word. It has nothing to do with willingness to serve. It just has to do with all of us being willing to come together and say, we need to come up with a structure that's God-ordained so that we can do this, right? Let me just throw a quick idea out there. It's become kind of normal, you guys, in some churches that instead of having leadership from within or elders from within as, as we do... Um, like people would now get like boards of uh, like their buddies would come and serve on their board for the church and decide what they need to do with the money and how things need to happen, right? And so what we see here though is that the leaders that came together were the people that knew the people, right? They were people that were led by the same people. It wasn't an outside structure coming in and saying, hey, we have a better idea or the secular world does it this way. Now let's do this in the church. You follow me on this? It's from within. It's the revelation. It's how God told them to set up the church is how they set it up. And so we see that they came together and they weren't going to stop preaching the word to serve tables. So verse three says, therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The, the quick thing I want to say there is, is no matter what job we're doing in the church, we need to have a life that looks like Christ, right? He didn't say that the men of God that preach the word have a standard so high that every, everybody needs to look to that person and their life needs to be holy, right? We know that because later on, first, uh, Paul gives Timothy qualifications that the leader's lives need to lay out and look like. But we see that just the people in the early church serving the tables, their lives look like Christ too. Amen. And so it's easy to do, right? Um, I remember before I was a preacher, I looked at the preacher and I was like, man, I, I hope he does this and this and this and this and this, right? And that's just natural because the preacher's expected to be like Christ. And that's okay. I have embraced that my life will probably be looked at through a magnifying glass, okay? But what I will say, and I think it's just as healthy, is that all of us are called to be like Christ. Amen. All of us are called like us, no matter what your role is in it. If you're a college student who's in school and you're serving, serving in kids and you're serving in your group and you're helping uh, disciple other people. If you're uh, an adult in here and you're um, leading a, a, another connect group or you're serving in kids or you, you help cook food, right? No matter what we're doing in the church, everybody that serves needs to have a life that looks like Christ. We talked about this last week. This is what makes the church attractive. This is what makes the church pure. This is what makes people look at it and go, wow, and so they didn't, they didn't do away with that just because they were serving tables. They kept the standard high, right? And I think that's the same way in churches today is if we keep the standard high, 
people will naturally attract up. And so they go through, they pick these men. I won't pronounce their names perfectly for you again, okay? But they pick these men. And then verse 6 says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then guess what happened? Just like everything else, it seems like. They unify together. Nobody complains. I'm sure that there was somebody left off this list, most likely, that said, I want to serve tables. Why aren't you picking me, right? But you don't read about that, right? Because there was some degree of unity that they were willing to rally around and say, for the sake of the mission and for unity, for the church to go forward, for us to grow, we need to rally behind this idea. And they did. And so verse 7, I believe this is what happens when the church walks in unity. And the word of God did what? Continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I find that, that comment important, right? Because the priests, those were the leaders of the Jews. Those were the people they were teaching to. And they start converting because of what they're seeing God do in the church. And so this is a big-time explosive growth. So three things quickly we're going to hit through. Um, that we learn from this passage I think is important. Uh, The first one, if you're writing it down, is every person matters in the church. We'll talk about this from two ways. Most of you say every person matters in the church. It sounds like okay to us, and of course, but we're kind of kind of hit this from a twofold idea, meaning every person matters from the standpoint that not one is higher than the other. There's not a hierarchy of people that um, some we should serve, some we should not, but also every person matters in the church because God's gifted every person with the spirit with gifts to play a part in the church. And so we'll talk a little bit about how that can play out. The second thing is this, is the word of God taught is the primary priority of the church, right? This is important. We'll talk about why you coming and having the word preached and taught and explained and think through that, why that is so important to the church itself. And then the third one is this, um, a united church will grow, right? A church that's rallied around the mission, a church that's rallied around what's going on, um, the gospel, the, the, the main point of why God instituted the church. When we rally around that, the gospel will continue to push through it. Um, the first one, here we go. Every person matters in the church. Why is this so important? Well, if you think about it, there could have been easily a lot of issues with the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, right? Um, different cultures, different jobs, different um, ways of doing life. But when they came under the umbrella of God's word and under Christ, they were willing to come together and rally together and say that we're not going to let silly things divide us. We're going to come together and we're going to be committed to treating every person like they're made in the image of God in which they are. And so what happens is, is um, you can think through this, and I think it's easiest, honestly, just to think through this from the sense of um, we've all had some type of place that we've walked into where we're the outsider. Can I get an amen to that? Um, whether, whether that be um, you, you walk into church and you haven't been in a while, you feel like you're the outsider. You know what I mean? We're a new church. Everybody's been here within the last four months, so we're all outsiders in a sense, you know what I mean? So you walk in, and, um, but you, you maybe walk into a store you haven't been in a long time. You walk into um, a place of people that are way more educated than you, or you walk into the, the, the group of bosses at your work, their office, and we all have a time where we're talking outsider, but what we know from this passage is that they were committed to not having anybody feel that way 
right? They weren't going to let something silly like whether you were converted from the, the, the Greek language or you were converted um, as, as a believer from being a, a Hebrew and growing up as a Hebrew, they weren't going to let that divide them. And so what we see and what this type of unity in, is rooted in is it's rooted in the gospel itself, right? We talk about this a lot. Their unity was rooted in what Christ had done for them on the cross, and they realized that. Listen, it becomes so normal, right? You, you read in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul and Peter, they get into an argument because um, the Jews think they're higher because they keep more laws, or these people think they're higher because they've done this, or I've been here longer, and it's so easy for all of that to seep in, but this is one of the most beautiful things of the gospel when we understand it well is that it doesn't matter if you've been in church for one day, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for two days, it doesn't matter if you've been for 30 years, 40 50, 60, right? You count on. We're all going to get the same reward. We all have the same access to a relationship with the Lord, and it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. It doesn't matter what you've done in the church, right? There's this idea that we are unified through the blood of Christ, and that's what brings us together. And when we remind ourselves of that often, that's when unity comes together. We talk about this often. I could go into it over for a long time, but just because our sin looks different doesn't mean that we have a hierarchy of it, right? Just because my sin is different than your sin doesn't mean that you're lower or I'm lower. It means that we both need Christ the same, which is 100%, right? Some of us don't work our way up 20%. Some of us work our way up 60, and some of us work our way up 90. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel says we're all at zero. Our works are dead when we put them in front of Christ. Isaiah says our, our best works are like dirty rags in front of God, right? And But what we know is, is that God takes those things and says, you're still worthy. I deem you worthy through the blood of this, my son, which I, he paid the price for you on the cross. Amen? And so that's what their unity was rooted in. Is it was rooted in exactly what Christ has done for on the cross. We talk about this often, but what that does is it makes the playing field level, right? It makes us say that because we don't all work our way up part of the way and Christ come a little bit of the way, but rather Christ comes the whole way for us, what that means is that none of us have reason to boast, right? That's why Paul says, I have no reason to boast, but only in Christ. So when we, we find ourselves with a place where we think we have the upper hand or we should be a little bit higher, we find ourselves not in a place where we want to do that. The, the, the second way that we see this, that every person matters, is that every person has a place to serve, right? Everybody has a place and a part to play in the church. Listen, for some of us, that's on Sundays, and some of us, your best gift may not be used on Sundays, right? That's why we have connect groups. Listen, think about just some of the spiritual gifts with me. The, the gift of care, the gift of encouragement, the gift of hospitality, all these things may partly be used on Sundays, but the reason they were so prevalent in the early church is because they gathered other times as well when they broke be- bread together or when they sat down and studied the word together, right? A lot of these things come out. I, I sit in our group, right, our, our connect group, which is, listen, our group, right, our connect group right now is by far the most diverse connect group I've ever been in. I didn't grow up with a similar background to, to any of them at all, but we sit down and we study the word together and we talk through it. We talk about what's going on in life. How does this apply to us? What does this look like? And we start talking through it and this person will say something and I'm like, man, that makes me feel like 
junk. I'm a terrible husband. You know what I mean? But then somebody else will say something, and I'm sitting there applying it to my life, and I'm like, man, that's good. I, I needed to hear that. I need to be reminded of that, right? And so what you see is, is that all these gifts are coming out, but right now those gifts aren't coming out when the Word's being preached, right? Some of y'all have a lot of good comments, and you're like, say this, Dustin, but this isn't the time. You know what I mean? But that's why we do that as a church is so that everyone's gifts can be used not only on Sunday, but at other places. And so here's what I would say is that for us to see our gifts leverage, for us to play our part in the body, then we have to be a part of some way being around other believers in the church. I say this often, but listen, if every, we were building a house, building the church, building the house, and every single person brought a hammer and a piece of wood, we would only get so far, Right? You would only get as far as a hammer and a wood would get you. If nobody brings nails, if nobody brings some brains, if nobody brings some equipment, right? The other stuff, go on and on. You need it all to build it up. One gift is not higher or lower. We all have a part to play. We all matter in the church. The second point, which we'll spend just a little bit more time on, is this. Is the word of God taught is the primary priority of the church, right? This is a big deal in the church. I'll be honest. There was a time... When I would say things like, um, your, your, your primary growth or your main growth is going to come through blank or, or through doing this uh, one-on-one or connect group or, or servant or this, right? When you sit down and you see the church and you see how it was formed and what it did, the primary growth, the primary driving thing behind the church was the word being preached, right? That was the primary thing of what was going on. If you think through this with me, um, I'm going to read the first four verses in 2 Timothy chapter 4, because I think it goes right along with the early church. But this is what Paul tells Timothy. Timothy's about to take over a church, and he's younger, right? He, he's, he's getting instructions from Paul, and Paul's writing him a letter to basically tell him how to do the church. If you've ever wondered, this would be a re- this is 2 Timothy's probably the best blueprint for the church. And so what does he tell him in chapter 4? This is what he says. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So he's saying you're going to get judged. What should we do? Preach the word. What's he saying? What, what does that mean? Expound upon the scriptures that you have, right? Explain these to people. Talk through these things. Be ready in season and out of season. That's interesting there, right? He's saying that there's going to be times where you feel like you're, you're doing really well and times that are hard, times you're in the valley, times you're in the mountain. But be ready in season and out of season to preach the word. Listen, that means that when life gets hard and busy, guess where you need to be on Sunday? Church. When, when life could not go any better, beware. At church, listen, that's not legalism, Right? Obedience is not legalism. We don't, I've heard that so often is that this idea that if, we, if we're at church or not at church, I can do life on my own. I, I kind of need, I kind of, no. It, hardly anywhere, y'all, in Scripture do we find a believer. I say hardly anywhere. Nowhere in Scriptures do you find believers that are not part of the local body, right? This was an uh, ordained method from God for us to grow was that we sit under somebody preaching the word, that this would be important to us, whether we're in season or out of season. Why? What does the word do to us? What, how does it help us grow? Why is it so important? It reproves, it rebukes, and exhorts with complete patience and teaching. Why do we need that? Why do we need to be reproved and rebuked and exhorted? 
especially with patience. Verse 3, because a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, right? I go back and forth on this. I am passionate that the preacher doesn't have to sit up here and be just boring. You know what I mean? Where um, you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm ready to eat. You know what I mean? Maybe y'all get that way. But I'm passionate that that we can preach the word attractively. But we have to be a church that is standing on the word of God and preaches the word of God. Listen, because if we don't, we're going to get into what happens. Because if we don't, then we're going to be the ones that chase anything that comes and not be having or not be set on a firm foundation. Because listen, it says a time is coming. I think this was meant to be that type of verb that was from after this time for the rest of the ages, right? It wasn't the last generation was the time or the next generation is the time. The time is now too, right? That there are people out there that don't teach sound doctrine. There are people that don't teach scripture. There are people that start with ideas and rather than expounding upon what the word says, that becomes their method of whatever will make you happy. And I'll be honest, this is a a tension in my own heart, right? Because you start expounding upon things that are not easy to expound upon and calling sin, sin and saying this is what scripture says There's a tension in there, right? Because in a sense, if next Sunday we show up and I'm the only one here preaching to nobody, it's like, well, now what's going to happen? You know what I mean? Y'all see that tension there? It's like in a way that that becomes a difficult thing, but it's like we saw last week in Acts 4. We all have to come to a place where we say, do I want to be accountable to God? Do I want to do what God says and be faithful to the Lord? Or do I want to be faithful to what the next person says I need to do, right? And we all have to come to that conclusion. Listen, I say that that's hard for me. That's hard for you. There's somebody at work that makes crude jokes. There's somebody in your life or family or somebody that does things that you shouldn't do, right? Y'all follow me? We, we all get to this crossroads where we have to get to a place where we realize that we need sound teaching because other things are going to be out there that won't sound so good. And why do they do that? Because it will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions right? I could say a lot of things that would make you a lot happier, and maybe then I would make more money or something. I don't know, right? But that's not what this is saying when we preach the word. We do that for the opposite. And then it says, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth. And what happens when we turn away from listening to the truth? It says we wander off into myths, right? When, when we lose what all truth is, we wander off into myths. It says, as for you, always be sober-minded This is good. Endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry, right? That's what he's telling Timothy, and that's what we all have to apply to ourselves. And so why is this so important? I want to hit three quick things as to why the Word of God is so important. The first one is is because it's the fuel that drives the church, right? Um, the, 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 you, you can, we can say that there's a lot of things that are important in the church, but the preaching of the word and being grounded in scripture and that being what drives the church, that is what we all come back to. Listen, it makes me think of, uh, I don't know if maybe y'all have seen this or not, but there's, there's two types of people. I saw this. Y'all call them memes. Is that what it's called? A meme? Y'all know what a meme is? Okay. Um, it, it had a, it had a picture. <laughs> y'all laughing at me? Uh, real dad life. I don't even know what that is called. Okay. Um, anyway, so where uh, there's like three quarters of a tank of gas and it's like barely getting towards the halfway line and the person's like, I need to go get gas. And then there's the type of person that it's like below the last line and they're like, nah, I can make it. You know what I mean? Listen, no doubtably, I'm the person that's like, nah, we can make it, okay? Um, I don't know why. But my wife always tells me, 
one day you're going to run out of gas. You're not going to remember, right? And so we had just moved here um, last June, I think it was, or July, and we're, we're coming back from Rome. We had visited my, my, my parents and, uh, or not my parents, my brother and sister-in-law, and we were driving back. We were on 316, and we're going, and kids are asleep, and Rachel told me when we left, she was like, you better stop and get gas. And guess what I said? Nah, we're going to make it, right? Listen, we get to a Coney Connector where Coney Connector and 316 run into each other, and everybody's asleep in the car, and I hit the gas, and we stopped going, and I'd forgot about it since probably about 285. I mean, I'd for, totally forgotten about it. And I hit the gas, and I start getting over, and I'm like, all right, I've got to come up with a plan before Rachel wakes up. We start, <laughs> we start hitting those little things that tell you to run off the road that are loud and obnoxious. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> We start hitting those about 30 miles an hour, and Dax wakes up, and Rachel wakes up, and Rachel's like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, maybe the car is breaking down on us. And she's like, well, did you stop and get gas? And I'm like, no. And then, you know what, you know what uh, uh, Dax says in the back? Daddy, the car is hungry. Daddy, the car is hungry. And I'm like, I understand. And then, so then Rachel had to tell him because his mind, I mean, he's, you know how kids are. He's like, we got to go get the, the car some chips from the gas station. And so now his favorite thing to say is the car needs chips. I don't understand. Okay. Now I say that because it's interesting. <laughs> okay. Listen to this because verse three, where it says, or verse two, where it says in the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Listen, the word preaching um, is, is not necessarily just like a, a, a word that means that, but it's actually the Greek word, and I want to make sure I don't say this way off, but dekonia, dekonia, um, and what that means is, is to literally serve like you're serving food, right? And so what you find is in churches is just like the car ran out of gas, just like Dax put together that um, he needs to, the car is hungry, right? What this is saying is basically if we, if, if we abandon teaching the word, right, what's going to happen to the people? They're going to starve, right? And then what's going to happen is they're going to start looking for truth. They're going to start going other places. And so I say that all to say this is that we have to be a place because, listen, if, if, if we don't stand on the word, right, if this is not passionate to us, if we don't realize and we don't, we don't put fuel in the thing that needs fuel, right, what's going to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? The preaching of the word. What's going to rearrange your affections for Christ tomorrow morning when you're not thinking about this? The preaching of the word. What's going to drive us and equip us to go share the gospel this week? It's the preaching of the word. You see what I'm saying? It all comes back to this. This is very, very important and not why we take it lightly. The next thing that happens that we see in that Second Timothy passage in here that what happens and why the preaching of the word is so important is because it gives us a stable foundation, right? It gives us a foundation that doesn't change. I was thinking about this the other day and why this is so important, but um, Paul tells the Ephesians in, in Ephesians 4.14, he says that we need to know sound doctrine. We need to be stable in the teaching. I, I went on about this last week about how we know about a lot of things in life, our jobs and sports. And I mean, some of y'all could go back from, you know, the previous seven years of every five-star Georgia recruited. And you know what I mean? And we know so much about all this stuff, but we don't really know the word. And I, and I think that's why when something sounds good, we can't discern it, right? We can't understand if this is truth or not because we don't know the word. And we need to know the word so that we have a foundation. And Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen, knowing the word is how we do this. You think about it. Um, uh, we have an adopted son named Cruz, and he has the best time tricking our dog and our two-year-old, now three-year-old son. I didn't think it was that funny, right? But he would like fake throw the ball and put it behind his back and laugh for hours that our dog went looking for it. You know what I mean? I'm like, he's not easy to, to trick. It's a dog. You know what I mean? Like, how do you get any satisfaction out of this? Maybe if I trick an adult or something, you know, it's funny. I'm all for jokes. But um, anyways, but you think about it. And what Paul is saying is the same way that he had a good time tricking kids is what happens when we're not grounded on the, 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 the foundation of the word. We don't know the word. There's no grounding in it. We don't read it. We don't put it in our head. We don't let it seep into our heart. What happens is, is everything that comes, we believe, and we run after it a little ways, and then we realize that won't satisfy us, and we run after this a little ways, and we realize that won't satisfy us, right? The way we avoid all of that is by having a foundation that is set on the word. Does that make sense? I last week shared a quick example. It may have been two weeks ago. I don't know, but where we, we talked about having a standard that was um, what, what caused, the, the, early, the, or what caused the, the college students in their class to have a standard to grade from, right? And we were talking about grading on a curve. Y'all remember that? And we were thinking through it. And let me just catch everybody up quickly. We were pretending that we were in class, okay? Um, 30 people, and everybody makes under 70, but little Johnny makes a 99 on the test. And so they were going to get graded on a curve, but because of little Johnny's standard, right, the curve got wiped out. Because if one person could know it, all were able to know it. You follow me on this? Because that was the standard. It's the same way. Listen, if we're willing to follow everything, then we don't know what to believe, right? We don't know what's right. How do we, how do we know if we should do this or not? All of those answers are given to us, and this is our standard, right? The answers are in here. Now, look, you've you got to read it. You've got to know it, and, and, and then we're going to get to this in a second, but it takes time and consistency. But we have to be a church that is on the Word. We teach the Word. We know the Word because that's our foundation. The third one is this, is it what gives us direction, right? Not only does the Word fuel us, right? It, it's the gas that goes in. But in the illustration, it's the steering wheel as well, because it does no good to have a bunch of zeal and not know what to do with that zeal. You follow me here? Um, we, we talk about this in our heart and soul a good bit, which is our, our membership class. But one of the things that we're passionate about as a church is being well balanced. What do we mean by that? Um, we, we talk about this as um, we talk about um, the, the personal side of your walk with Christ, your personal side, meaning you fighting sin. You daily wanting to become like Christ, your personal life, right? And then we talk about the depth side. And we talk about how you need a foundation. You need to know things. You need to know the word. And then we talk about there's a missional side with what you do with all that. And so there's kind of these three things. And what we say is, is that um, there's this parable that Jesus talks about that if you have a, even if you have a good personal life that looks like Christ and you're zealous and you want to tell everybody about Jesus, but you have no foundation, what happens when that one storm comes? It wipes us out, right? We have nothing to stand on, and that's why we need the Word. We need to have direction. We need to know. We need balance because we don't want one storm to come. We don't want one person to ask us a question, and then, right, it just falls apart. And the way we do that is the same way, which is through knowing the Word. We, we, we talk about it like this, but if we're zealous and we're sharing the gospel, and we're, um, our, our lives even look like Christ, and we're fighting sin, and we're, 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 we're moral Christians, but we don't understand the gospel enough, there's two things that happen. 
Number one, our evangelism, our talking with people about Christ won't be very effective, right? We won't know what to say. And number two is, the worst part is, is we may even share a gospel that doesn't save, right? Because that's very possible, is that we share something that really doesn't lead them to Christ. And so it's twofold. We have to be, we have to have a foundation. We have to have depth, and that comes through knowing the Word. The last thing I want to share about this and why the Word is so important is it has to come with consistency, right? When, when I share all this, I know that most people in here, and I don't say all that to condemn you. I went through all that because I'm passionate about it, and I think we need to know it. But what I do know is that most things in life don't come quick and easy, right? Now, I, I will say this. Most people are like, in this generation, they want it all quick and easy. I get it. That's probably true, right? We want it fast. We want it now. We want it my way. And if it ain't my way, I'm going somewhere else to find it my way, right? Well, here's what I'll say. The Word of God does not necessarily work like that. One of the things I do know is you can't, you can't pressure cook sanctification, right? You, you can't grab somebody put them in a discipleship program, teach them all the theology, because then they're not well balanced. Their personal life and their relationships and how they walk with Christ on a normal basis doesn't look right. You see what I'm saying? Or maybe somebody's been in church and they can play the church game. They, they know how to you know, kind of look like a church person and their relationships are good and they're moral, but they don't have any theology, right? They don't have any foundation. They don't, they don't really know what they believe. And so you see what's so important. Listen, the way we become well balanced is through consistency, that's why, listen, you find godly men who've been following the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years, and their vocation is not preaching. And they've sat under good teaching, and they've sat and studied their own Bible, and they've sought after becoming like Christ, and they've done this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It's not a magic accident that they know the Word of God. You know what I mean? It's not a magic accident that they have patience when we struggle to have patience. It's not an accident that they can listen to somebody preach and say, this is good Bible-centered teaching. You know what I mean? It's like that stuff doesn't happen by accident. But because we want, and the, the new culture in church, listen, this is no doubt the new culture in church. Go once a month, hear a home run sermon, you score one run, and then you go in February and you go once in February and they, you hear a home run sermon and you have two. In March and April and June, July, right? You're at seven runs and you go 12 times a year, right? Because you're just busy and life's just hard. And you go 12 times and listen, this is not me to make you feel condemned about being at church or not. Just follow me here. But what happens is, is we come and we want more. We want this emotional feeling that'll make us last for a few months. But sanctification is not like that either. It's a little bit of Nick and a little bit of that, and a little bit of taking off here, and, and then you get convicted about this, and then you get convicted about this, and then you learn this, and then you learn this, and over time, the Lord just works on you, right? And you look back, and there's been a well-balanced believer that is sitting on solid ground that is not shaken by much, right? Suffering comes. You've been taught on it. A hard time's come. You, you know how to get through it, right? You're in the valley. You show up, and you get fed. You're on top of the mountain. You show up, and you get fed, Right? One of the things, one of my, my favorite theologians, I just listened to a podcast. Um, he was talking and he said, it really shook me up when I showed up to church one Sunday and I felt like the crux of my message was a cat joke, right? And now look, I'm all for jokes and analogies. I share them, right? We laugh, we have a good time. But he said, I, 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 I got kind of convicted because the night before on Saturday night, an 83-year-old woman had lost her husband. And instead of waiting till Tuesday or Wednesday and skipping church, she said, Pastor, I wanted to show up and I wanted to hear the word of God because I know that my soul, more than anything it needed, was to be fed the word that next morning, right? 
And so you see that she was an old saint that had learned that it wasn't going to be just a home run, overpowering sermon that was going to just light her on fire and change her life, right? But she knew that the next step of obedience was just to be fed because she was hungry, right? Now think that analogy of the home run once a month and just think this. Say you come 40 times and you hit a single every time. January, four singles. You got one run, right? You got bases loaded. I know some of you are not baseball people, and my sports analogies are like, shut up, okay? But you, you get three singles, and then you, you get the run, right? You're at four, but you still have bases loaded. The next 36 weeks, you're not hitting bombs. You're hitting bloopers through the infield, right? And you're getting one more, and one more, and one more, right? And then after 36, 40 weeks, you are scoring 36 runs rather than 12. You follow me here? I don't know another way to make an illustration, but the point is, listen, our souls need it more than we know we need it, right? We, we come and it may not be the best thing, or you leave and you remember all three points of his sermon and the preacher was on fire today, right? And like, that's, that's just what it's come to. But <laughs> I'm on fire every week. I got red hair, right? <laughs> I just thought about that. I saw somebody laughing. I was thinking that, okay? But long story short, right, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembly, right? There's power in worshiping corporately. There's power when we come and sing about Jesus. It's worship when we talk through the word. It's worship when we show up and share a meal with our groups. It's worship when we show up and gather and talk about the word. And it's not always going to be the big emotion. Consistency through all of this is what's going to cause us to look back and get a whole lot further than we realize, right? It's a little bit of chip at a time, a little bit of chip at a time that's going to cause us to where we look back and we realize we've come a lot more, right? I've heard it said this way before, and we'll get on to point number three, and we'll finish up. But we underestimate what we can do in the long term, and we overestimate what we can do in the short term, right? We overestimate our sanctification in the short term. I'm going to do this, and by next month, I'm going to know this. Or I'm going to do this this week, and I'll know all of this, right? But then we underestimate the long term. And our sanctification is a long-term battle, right? God's concerned with it from the time we're saved to the time we die, And God's going to keep growing us and molding us into the image of Christ primarily through us knowing and hearing God's word. And that's what the early church was committed to. That's why they said the preaching of the word, we don't need to neglect to serve tables. And they weren't saying this is a hierarchy. They were saying the word is important, right? That was their overarching message. Third one is this, is a united church will grow. This is what verse 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Listen, last week we we talked a lot about evangelism and just what makes our lives look attractive. But I will take that last point and overlap it into evangelism, right? If if somebody says, let's go door knocking and share the gospel, I'm in. Let's do it, right? I think that method can work. But the, the products and the fruit I've seen in my life have been over time, right? And the hardest thing about that is you're not going to be fueled to evangelize and to see things grow over time and to make disciples at work over time. It's not going to happen in just maybe one little instance. It's a year or two of working with somebody and then seeing when the boss chews you out, you don't fire back and get fired the next day, right? Um, it's, it's getting chewed out and still acting like Christ and then saying, wow, 
You see what I'm saying? It's, it's over time. That's why you, you see these men, and, and this isn't secular. I don't think this is by accident, but you see these men in these high positions in their companies, and they are godly men, and they have so much respect. You talk to somebody that works on them, and they're like, yeah, you know, sometimes he means business, but that is a good man, right? And they're not believers. They don't even really know what they mean by quote-unquote good. You know what I mean? But what they mean is that they're stable. They're the same. They show up. They're not a roller coaster, Right? And that's what happens when we come weekly and people look at us. And what's going to happen is, listen, there may be a new family. There may be five new families tomorrow. But over time, what's going to happen is, is we start living holy lives and we start having the word in us, in our heads, in our heart, and we start living it out and we start learning and being equipped to share. And listen, that's not going to all just happen in a week, but over time, we're going to look back and be like, wow, look at what the Lord has done. Amen. And so the, the, the question is, and the, the leveraging part of your life now is, is who is it in your life personally that God wants you to start building a relationship with, right? Who is it that God wants you to start thinking about? Listen, I, I, you could probably ask this question 30 years ago, and you may have probably, you know, 90% of the people you knew went to church. It's not like that anymore, right? I, I looked the other day in Athens. Listen, only 61% of Clark County is churched, and that doesn't count Catholicism. That's Protestant, or that does count Catholicism, sorry. That's Catholicism and Protestant evangelical churches, 61%. That means we can walk around and four out of 10 people we talk to are not in church. Now, we can talk to random people, or all of us can say, God has not accidentally put those people in our life. God put those people in your life for a reason, right? And that reason is, is so that you can live a holy life and then see Christ through you, and then you get opportunities to share the gospel with them, right? Let them know you go to church. Let them know you have faith in Christ. Let them know you read the Bible, right? Let them know you're passionate about the cross and what Christ gave you through salvation. And that stuff will come out and they'll start looking at you and wondering and then opportunities and doors will open and we'll start seeing it slowly and slowly and slowly, right? Listen, if we come back next week and there's twice as many of us, praise God. If it takes us chipping away and we're playing the long term, we're gonna play the long term, right? Listen, I wanted to come... And, and, and when we decided, we felt like it was clear we wanted to come plant a church, I was ready the next month, right? All the godly men in my life, Dustin, we need to prepare, we need to prepare. It took us two years to get here. You know what I mean? It was a long two years. I was passionate, excited. But what I know is, is that God's now done more in that time, right, than I look back. But in the moment, it wasn't, that, it wasn't like that. And it's the same way is we have to be at a place where we're chipping away and chipping away. And the challenge is for all of us as we leave here to keep doing that with the people in our life that don't know the Lord. Amen. Because we don't want to get so caught up in knowing and we don't want to get so caught up in busyness that we lose the mission. Right. Because that's why this whole church was created in the first place. Going back to Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then to the ends of the earth. Amen. We don't want to forget the main point. Let's pray together and we'll be done. God, we love you. God, I'm thankful for your word. God, I, I pray now that you would, God, in a, in a sense, God, would you let us know if we're, um, God, starved of your word. Lord, give us a passion and a hunger, God, to want to be in your word, Lord, on an individual basis. God, we know that the, the schemes of the devil, God, uh, as Ephesians 6 says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. 
God, but the, the schemes and principalities. God, we're wrestling against a culture that wants to get in our lives and make it busy. We're wrestling against a culture that wants to push you to the side. God, we're wrestling against a culture that wants to teach us and train our brains and, and, and God, condition us and think in our hearts exactly how the others think, the outsiders think. But God, I pray that we would have a hunger and passion for your word that causes us to think like you do. God, I pray that you would give us courage every day, even when we don't quote-unquote feel like it. God, I pray that we would see our lives as becoming like you over the long haul. God, uh, put us in places where we can share the gospel. God, put us in places where we can make a difference for your name. And Lord, I pray that, God, we would all continue to uh, walk in holiness and walk like you in our workplaces and in our homes. God, we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. I love you guys. I'll see y'all next Sunday.